0: Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs Show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times, and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. On today's show, I have the lovely Tanya Benlow, who is the founder of Leaders in Healing Movement. Tanya educates people how to build a thriving business online using automation. Like everyone, Tanya is no stranger to suffering and adversity. Tune in to hear Tanya's experience with an abusive relationship and how this propelled her to become a success. And hear how an unexpected accident has led to a path of healing for Tanya. This is another inspirational conversation, which is a stunning example of how women who are abused can rise back up in life to find happiness, purpose, and success. I hope this inspires you to rise up in your life and shine your brightest. Just a caution, if you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back anytime you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Today's sponsor, Kim Lingling is another author. Kim is a published author and is a ghostwriter who helps people who want to share their story by making their words sing and helping them become published authors. Get in touch with her by visiting kimlinglingauthor.com today. The link can be found in the episode notes. Hello, Tanya. I am so happy to have you as a featured guest today. You came to my attention because a friend and colleague thought it would be a good idea if I got in contact with you. And at that time, I had absolutely no idea of who you are and what your life story was like so um, when you opened up to me and we had a chat about your past I knew that you would be a wonderful guest for this podcast. Now Hmm. a very very warm welcome to you Tanya and can we just get started by you telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to be doing the work that you are doing now transforming people's relationships uh, with, with their health yeah absolutely thank you so much Sandy for having me here today
1: and I think it's more important to other people to hear um, our stories you know sharing our experiences from what we go through in life to help other people well and more so to inspire other people that you know you can do whatever you need to do to take action in your life so um so I currently live in Adelaide, up in the um, Adelaide Hills in Harndorf, and we've been here for a couple of years. We've been in Cairns for the last 20 years, but originally grew up in a small country town called Bright in northeast Victoria, up in the snowfields, and um, way back then, uh, I was a very ambitious young woman. Uh, school wasn't for me. I was dying to get out of school, and I wanted to be a chef by trade, so at six years old, I knew I wanted to be a chef by trade. Um so, I didn't start my apprenticeship very young and was probably one of the only few, very few female chefs back then. So, I'm just about to turn 50. So, to give you an idea, when I was 15, I started my apprenticeship in cooking. Um, I had a long journey of being tortured and tormented in kitchens back then as well. So, this kind of leads into the story of where this um, goes next. But it was really interesting. Uh, one of my worst experiences in a kitchen Uh, I got beaten up by a chef who was in the army up at the Mount Buffalo Chalet at the time and uh, he was an ex-army dude you know thought that he had it all over women and he could have his way but he was continually passing sexual you know uh, connotations to me asked me to stay behind you know and those sorts of things and I used to drive up and down the mountain every day so I went through a lot of you know um I had, even the couple of the chefs in the kitchens where I worked at, I had issues with them coming on to me, you know, at a really young age, which really at the end of the day, I was only still a child. Um, so I had, you know, a lot of, a lot of problems with, um, with that young. And then um, I went and worked up at Falls Creek one season. Uh, I had my first restaurant on a 17 and a half up at Falls Creek. And then that was where I met this fella. And um, so he had an alias, so his alias name was Jack. So that probably keeps it safe. And um, so I met this man and he was a real womanizer. And, um, you know, like as you do at a young age, you sort of fall in love with somebody just, you know, not normally would see and this kind of thing. And we started a relationship up there and um, I was the chef. I actually owned, had the restaurant up there. So I was in the apartments up above the restaurant and we started forming a relationship, and uh, four or five months later, after the ski season, we moved into a house together in Bright. Um, my mum was a spiritual healer and business owner, and you know, knew everybody in town. And she just didn't like this bloke. You know, she had had that. You know, your mother always has a gut feeling that something yeah. is wrong, not right. Well, she was right, but you know, um, as you grow older. Or, as a, you know, as a young person, you don't want to listen to what your mum says because, you know, you're in love with this person and, you know, you believe whatever's going on is right. And my mum f- tried everything possible to force us apart. She dug up his past and found some really serious dirt on him and he had a really big history of doing what he did to me to other women. So, um, But I didn't want to allow that affect my relationship so after about six to 12 months, we were living together. Mum actually uh, forcefully removed me from my relationship, um, made me put my car in, um, hit it at the local service station and tried to really break us up. And um, I believed everything she did say, but, you know, at the end of the week, I still went back to him. Um, I was obsessed. So and this is really interesting because that's where this kind of thing starts and continues from. So by making that decision of leaving home, um, leaving mum at that stage and going back and living with him in the house that we were renting, uh, that severed my relationship with my mother as well. Mm. Um, So it's interesting how you can choose, make these decisions and choose these things during life. And it doesn't matter what age you are, this will happen continuously for different reasons through your life as well. And then... um, my best friend got married and this is where things started you know just the few things started i realized he was starting to take control of my life um i was reasonably well off because i had worked from a very young age so i'd paid for everything in cash owned my car had money in the bank and um this fellow was a ceramic tiler so he was working but he was he was also a pot smoker so he smoked you know, twenty-four hours a day. Always had had one when he got out of bed. had one when he went to bed. Um, I didn't sort of get involved in that, but uh, it sort of really started affecting my thoughts and processes. But um, he first, the first one was he stopped me from going to my best friend's wedding, which was really terrible because you know the you always want to go to your best friend's wedding. So that really started tearing me apart, away from my friends, and um, and I think. That was probably my first point where I thought, you know, this is not right. But he had me really entrapped in into this relationship by there, by then, and just the things he would say. And he was a real womanizer too. So six foot two, gorgeous looking bloke, you know. Um, and then started really demoralizing myself and my self esteem because I was a really out there confident person, you know. I had had a restaurant and um, and then. Uh, Probably only about six months later, he actually moved us away from the area. So moved us over to Adelaide. And that was to get me away from my family and my friends, and for his purpose of being able to grow some weed. And you know, so but he isolated me. Then the next thing that happened was that he actually removed me um, not only from there, but he went over six weeks earlier, which I trusted him to go over, find a house, um, rent a house, buy all the furniture. Um, because he basically just drove over in the car. So I gave him all the money out of my bank account over a six-week period and it was tens of thousands of dollars. And I expected him to buy all the furniture, you know, washing machines, chairs, table, lounge room, beds, the whole lot. And then when I kept asking for more money, which I gave it to him because I thought he was buying things. And then when I left Bright to go over there, I sold my car. So um and that was hard-earned money that I'd saved for years and paid cash for when I got my license and um I got over to Adelaide to find that there was nothing in the house nothing there was no chairs no tables no no nothing there was a mattress on the floor and that was it so he'd spent the whole lot on drugs mm. and wasted it I don't know what he was doing for all I know he would um you know, now I look back and I know what's going to happen at the end of the story. It could have been paying for hookers. Who knows? Don't know what was going on. So I moved to right down the bottom coast of South Australia. So had us isolated in me isolated in the town because I had no car and he was going off to work. So I had to stay home all day, every day and do nothing. And um, so that was a kind of a really you know hard thing to get through from from losing everything that I had. Mm. I had no car, I had no transport. I couldn't go anywhere because I, I was too far to walk to the nearest bus stop. And um, so he basically locked me into the house for about six months and then we moved to the next suburb up, which was okay. So I was able to actually get on a bus and go somewhere and start actually, you know, having a life. But this went on for like our relationship went on for five years like this, and um. So I became, you know, just a really, really introverted person. Um, During that time, he wouldn't allow me to uh, talk to people. I wasn't allowed to have any friends um, and all sorts of things. But then I had to have a job and give him the money. Um, So he was a real controller. So I kind of thought that was okay because I thought we were actually getting places and we were going to do things. He would tell me that, you know, one day he will marry me. Always making me think, yeah, we'll get married. But after a couple of years, all I started thinking about was how am I going to get away from this man? Because um, I was really, really trapped in a into a place that I couldn't get away from. Um, and then three, uh, I think it's about thirty, he actually proposed to me, and uh, we had an engagement party. Uh, dad, my dad came over for it, um, and a few weeks later, we went out and um, bought. Uh, secondhand wedding dress. I thought I'd just get a secondhand one. And when I was trying on, I said to dad, you know, um, I can't see myself getting married to this man because all I think about it every day is how can I run away from him? You know, my life became that situation that all the things that were going on in my life, all I could think about was packing a suitcase and trying to run away in the middle of the night. But then he um, was also a martial artist. So I was always fearful that he would come and find me and hurt me. Um, and things like that. So yes, yeah, that kind of entrapment that you just can't move away from. And um, many years later, uh, my my parents broke up when I was twenty one, and when I was about twenty three. Dad moved over to Adelaide to be close to near I am. And um, at this time, uh, Jack and I were renting a a house on top of a hill in Crafers up in the Adelaide Hills, and we had a really long driveway at the top of the hill, and there was two big homes at the top and I was only two metres away from the next door neighbour and I was never allowed to talk to her, you know, and I had an old lady next to me on the other side and I wasn't allowed to talk to her either. So for the whole five years I was with him, I wasn't allowed to have any friends, I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody, um, wasn't allowed to go out um, and all those sorts of things. So um, being in a controlling relationship, you know, and um, being, you know, demoralize your whole way you feel to make you feel that you're worthless you know and that you have to count on him to be able to survive you know is quite common you know when I talk to so many other women nowadays women have gone through all sorts of different you know um domestic violence and, and the way men treat women and uh, all those kinds of things and then um dad sold his house and we bought a shop in the food court in the my center and um my best friend who was working the coffee shop I found out that he was having an affair with her and that just really kind of just made things just snowball into a worse state um I started gambling you know I started to, uh, basically whatever money I had I was hiding from everything every minute I had if I could get out of the house I'd say I was going to work early I'd go to the local pub and I'd be sitting in there playing the pokies and things like that so I had a whole chain of events just kept snowballing from one to the next and then I ended up on like a like a train wreck as well. And within a few months after that, um, we couldn't just couldn't get the business off the ground because um we found out that we actually got sold a dud business and never made any money. And um so no matter how hard we kept trying to work and get that business going, we weren't making enough money to survive from day one. So that kind of exacerbates the situation of how you feel. And um, trying to cope with him sleeping with another woman was, you know, and that was my best friend. That ended my best friend's relationship with her. but um, And she was also married. But um, it just opened up a whole can of worms from there. So I ended up finding out that he had 12 affairs um, in that time frame. And that was my pinnacle point of breaking away from the relationship and being able to move on. But that also everything that just happened, crashed and burned in that week was we lost the business. So um, we went belly up and lost everything, basically. Um, And then he broke, I gave him half of everything. I threw him out of the house, gave him half of everything, which he hadn't paid for any of it. Um, Just trying to be nice, you know, to accommodate his needs. And um, during that time, uh, the within the following week or so, he came back and broke into the house and stole everything. Um, come home from work one afternoon, I just started a job and he had thrown all the food all over the floor and just left me with a mattress on the bed with no linen. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, some people uh, just have, have absolutely no morals. Um, I don't know why, you know, those sorts of things happened or what did I do? to deserve someone like that you know that's that's the hardest thing you always still look back you know even though it was many years ago when I was in my 20s that you still wonder why those things happened you know so yeah it's an interesting thing that can go on um, there's a lot of things that went on in between it but that's kind of like bit of it in a nutshell yeah
0: Tanya I just want to say thank you so much for going into so much detail about that time in your life Mm. as I listened to you it was like me retelling my own story Mm. there were so many parallels in your experience to my own and Mm. this is why I wanted you to come on as a guest because when we come out and we talk about our experiences our lived experiences Mm -hmm. then it can help others who feel alone in their suffering Mm -hmm. to relate and see that they are not alone in what they're going through that these kinds of things happen to many women Mm -hmm. and there there was one thing I wanted to go I want to rewind back to a point where you were talking about um, your obsession with him and this is a really interesting point because it's not something that is generally talked about that much when it comes to narcissistic relationships Mm. and why women become so bonded to these toxic men and I'd be interested to know from you in retrospect seeing what inner wisdom you have drawn from that because it was very courageous of you to talk about that in first place, Tanya, to talk about that um, compulsion that you had to keep going towards somebody who your mum, you know, had gone to great lengths to say, yeah. sweetie, he he's a wolf. You don't want to be with this guy because yeah. he's going to hurt you. Yeah. And um, you had this compulsion to go back anyway and I can say the same thing for myself is that I saw red flags at the beginning of the relationship and it wasn't my mother but it was my best friend who Mm -hmm. said at that time are you sure because I think he's a player and I said oh no I'm sure that you know that's not the case even though I'd seen red flags that pointed to things being dangerous and not normal, not healthy. And I still went all in with that relationship. What wisdom do you think that you have drawn from that that you can share now?
1: I think so much. And that's like you said, um, it's thinking when you look back on it um, that you, you can get through it, you know, but I think... Like I've gone a lot through a lot of other different things in life, um, losing the business and going through all that. Um, and I think once you hit rock bottom, you, you can work your way back. Um, but these are all choices. Like I always say, you know, everyone, we've got a choice. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got a choice to wake up in the morning and get out of bed and do this, A, or we've got a choice to do B. Um, you know, as much as I kept moving forward and wanting to do what I wanted to do, I couldn't, you know, kept drawing back. Um, you know, and I went through a state of wanting to commit suicide and, you know, I had a doctor um, help me through that as well because I just didn't see there was a point to live. Um, I really felt like my whole life was destroyed. Um, and then losing the shop that, you know, I nearly lost my dad because he was suicidal as well. So it wasn't just me, it was affected, it really affected my entire family. Um, and I think, uh, might be getting off track here, but I think there was one pinnacle point where, um, the counselor sort of said to me too, that, you know, uh, even though I was suicidal, uh, about thinking about not only myself, because I was only thinking about myself. They said, well, you need to think about your family and your friends and who you're going to affect if you go down that yeah. pathway. That was my turning point, like 100% my turning point, because once I sat down and thought, um, you know I was ready to get in the car and drive flat out down the road and hit a stovia pole you know so I, I had planned what I was going to do um, but and just before I got in the car I rang the doctor and asked for help and that was the point where you know they said that sort of thing and I went oh I never gave my family or my friends a thought Um, Although I was always thinking about myself because, you know, you are in that poor me syndrome, you know, you're so hurt and you're broken and you feel worthless and, you know, but you've got to find that, um, you know, every time I've gone through different things, it's come back down to that low ground point again. And then I've realized you can actually start. So um, being able to find a good counsellor was the biggest and thing in my life that i could find somebody to talk to and really unpack all those things and then work out what did i do it wasn't what i did do wrong because um we don't do anything particularly wrong because we've got somebody that's actually controlling us and controlling every move controlling what we say what we wear you know how fat we are what we eat uh, and all of that kind of stuff so when you have somebody that really demoralizes everything that you do and takes away all those choices you realize you don't have those choices until that's gone so the minute he was gone and going out of my life I made that decision not to allow him back in again um that was the hard one because there was a few times you know he yes. kind of broke up but then I would always let him talk me back um god I know it's why <laughs> but you allow them back in and um and it wasn't until that drawing point when I found out he was having an affair with my best friend. That was my drawing point. I went, you know what, this is never going. This is not happening again. And um, just uh, making that decision and to stand strong, you know, and that was where I was able to then, it was just like micro steps. Every day was just a, a small step to doing one new thing, going, getting a lot of help. Um, I actually met my next door neighbour for the first time. We'd been living there for a year. So um you know just having sort of started surrounding myself and meeting people so it was just you know you do you do meet the wrong people sometimes even friends as as that kind of thing happens because I think I've learned that when you are in a negative state of mind you can actually also also still attract the wrong people yeah. into your life and that can be friends yes so yeah. not only partners but other friends. So um, one thing my mum taught me at a young age was to think about um, put your energy into who you want to be with, like really call in. She was a spiritual healer, so um, call into the universe who exactly you wanted to have in your life, not think about I've had that in my life, am I going to attract the next person into my life again? And I certainly did not want to see Anybody for a like I thought for an eternity after that because um, you know mm. you you got a lot of healing to do and a lot of a lot of recovery to do so it's pretty full on.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, and allowing yet,
1: time to do it. And mm. yet
0: you you know you did meet somebody and um, that person was a great fit for you and mm. you've been together for quite some time now.
1: 25 years 26 years I
0: think 25 that was last year yes yeah yeah Yeah. so and um, thank god for your mum with the wisdom that she uh, shared with you about Mm. focusing on the type of people that you wanted to attract into your life and Mm. um, I think one of the one of the lessons that is often there for victims is is learning how to create safe boundaries Mm. for yourself. So I think that is definitely one of the the things that we can take away, the lessons that we can take away after breaking free from that negative cycle that we've been in because a lot of uh, victims are, really empathetic people and empathetic people can often be yes people very wanting to please other people and and say yes to things that might compromise them and their <laughs> being so um, learning that no is a very good word to use and it is completely appropriate to say no to things in your life that don't align with you and your values. And um, I am just bobsmacked by the amount of parallels that there are in your experience to my own. When you were talking about the breaking up and him um, sweet talking his way back in again, um, I had called it, uh, coined the phrase of it being a revolving door relationship. Mm so he would wear me down to a point where I would give him another chance, and it was only ever short lived. And then it, because everything, nothing had changed. Everything was still the same. All the the promises um, that were made were only ever short lived at best. And empty then, promises. Yeah. yeah, empty promises. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I loved also that you illustrated about the micro steps and how important it is to take micro steps. And another point which you made about tapping into counselling and how um, how important that was to you. It was a lifesaver, oh, literally a lifesaver for you to access counselling and to allow yourself to access counselling at the right time. I don't know if this was true for you but this is certainly true for me Tanya is that before I sought counseling I was quite fearful of counseling because um I my trust had already been broken because of the experiences that I was going through in the abusive relationship yeah. and so I was actually quite fearful of counseling that Uh, I would somehow, it would somehow weaken my position further by acknowledging to somebody how messed up I was feeling at that Mm. time. Uh, It's like, it's a huge leap of faith with vulnerability because you're at your most vulnerable point Mm. and you're opening up to somebody about this gravity of the way that you're feeling about life and just not wanting to actually go on with life if there's Mm. a way out I kind of think maybe that's a good idea but of course it isn't a good idea but these feelings that you know come to us in our deepest darkest moments um did you because you did push through any of those kinds of feelings, mm-hmm. and you did seek help. Yeah. How my- happy are you that you made that choice to oh, amazing. seek probably,
1: help? If I wanted to give you a bit of it um, something to think about here, so it's, that's not the first time I've I've had a lot of counselling through my life now from all different events that have gone on, um, and I now really know. I I didn't know back then I was just really lucky that the doctor hooked me up with relationships Australia and I landed a really awesome woman straight off and you know I, she was just like my best friend you know I could talk honestly and openly with her I felt really comfortable from the minute I met her um, she gave great advice like really great advice but she also what she also unpacked was all the issues that I had with my mother you know family stuff like unpacked everything so it really allowed me to heal and work through a lot of stuff. It wasn't just that. And you'll quite often find that probably everybody has the same thing. Um, and as I've had different things go through my life, I've had a lot of traumas, um, major surgeries from accidents that I've had. So I've had a lot of counselling and, you know, was suicidal again for other things. Um, but uh, I now know to identify like as the minute now, and I talk to women every day. I've been talked to another lady the last two days and just helping them about identifying how to let go of that remove move on, um, how to reframe your words. But, you know, like if if I see, um, I've got a couple of friends that are going through a lot of different things at the moment, and I just see it. as soon as I hear it and I see it in their voice, I can identify straight away they need to see a counsellor, you know, and it needs to be a specialist counsellor that really, uh, you know, is good at what they do, do around that. But I've met, gone through different counselling on a few different things. And I've met one or two, and I've just, after the first one, I've never gone back. Because if you're not connecting with your counsellor on a really incredible level, like I would say that first time, I I sometimes would say, don't go back again. Because if you don't have that connection straight away, you're probably not going to get on the second one. If you definitely don't get on the second one, don't go back, find someone else. Because everybody's different. Everybody's got, you know, they either know what you've gone through before. You would expect if you're seeing a counsellor, They've actually gone through this before so they understand and they can give you tips and strategies, you know. Um, that would be my best takeaway for anybody today to allow you to do that. And saying, like I was saying to you the other day, you know, my life's pretty amazing now. And I had a—I actually had a business coach the other day say to me, if I had an opportunity, would I change anything in my life? And I said, absolutely not. I'd do it all again. Um, because I've learned so many life lessons. I've learned a lot of life lessons about like you said, saying no. And even being um, a businesswoman, you know, I've worked in sales and marketing and uh, business development through high corporate profile roles before. And learning to say no is very powerful. It doesn't matter whether it's your home life, uh, personal life, like even a best friend, you know, you might meet the wrong friend and it is okay to say, no, you're not the right fit for me. Um, You know, you might not say that out loud, but you might say that internally. These people are not the right fit for me. I need to remove them out of my circle of friends. Um, More and more in the last couple of years, I've really learned to actually empower myself again and again to be able to do that. And now I'm realizing the more I'm removing friends, but I've started removing even family members that are toxic and constantly, you know, bring me down because they don't like what I do or who I represent so you know they don't I don't I don't have to have them in my family you know in my my circle I suppose you know they don't they don't serve me and uh, they don't make me feel good (laughs) so um, it's very powerful to learn that word no because you certainly do go through that yes stage you're trying to please then you go into that people-pleaser stage, you know, every time you go through trauma of any kind. So every time I've gone through different trauma stages, I go back to that people-pleasing stage again and then I go, what am I doing? Mm. I've gone back onto that circle again where you're sort of, you know, following through different chain of patterns in your life again and you start to identify it quickly the more you go through it. Um, it's
0: really yeah. interesting, isn't it, that it comes at a time where you are feeling disempowered. Yes. Yeah, yeah yeah but so, uh, yeah. you
1: learn to identify all you do is if you look at every time you go through these things it just makes you stronger and it makes you a better person if you choose to learn from that experience and move on so you can choose to make a decision and stay in that you know life of scarcity and that kind of thing but there's got to come a that draw that yeah. line in the sand this one day wake up tomorrow I go, you know what, I'm never going to let this happen again. I'm going to change my life today. And then the more you start waking up every morning and empowering yourself to do something little, could be reading a book. For me, it was like one of the most simple things that I hadn't done for myself that I loved the most was to go and sit by a river.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, know, I hadn't done that for years. Just sitting so by tell river. me,
0: tell oh, me, Tanya, how did sitting by a river empower you
1: just it cleared my mind and just um made me it took me back to my childhood where I grew up being in a an amazing town with amazing people where you knew everybody like <laughs> you couldn't hide anything couldn't go to the local phone box make a phone call without everyone in town knowing what you were doing and I think um I feel always felt a sense of um happiness and complete being a complete person. By growing up in a town like that where everybody you know just loves who you are there was everyone to say hello to you they everybody talked to you as you walk down the street so you actually felt amazing so that by sitting in the river in Bright if you've ever been to Bright has um, all the big three rivers come into the one so we used to just sit there after school every day or we'd, we'd fish in the river every day or things like that so it just um, brought me back to like she said that one thing that really I missed the most. So it made me feel amazing inside, just made me feel happy. And then the only other thing was reading a magazine. I hadn't read a magazine for years. So she said, well, it's just it's those tiny little things that you need to put back in your life that you missed and you loved the most. So I started going and buying myself a magazine. <laughs> so I was like, how did I stop allowing myself to go and buy a magazine?
0: Mm, it's funny, isn't it? But it's often the simple things which can have the most powerful results. Mm. Yep. So I started just implementing.
1: It was just those little things. Yeah. And then, um, you know, allowing my, I went. It took me months before I went and got a job again, and I just started off with a, you know, a really crappy job but I just needed to have a job that I didn't have to think about for yeah. a while until I could get my life back on track, start earning an income because I was on Centrelink for quite a while. And then, um, but you know, the weirdest thing was I met my husband's through my next door neighbor <laughs> and I, as much as I did not want a man in my life, he was the right one. And, um, so yeah, you know, just, you never know what's going to happen, but I think when you're not looking or expecting, that's when the right things happen sometimes yeah. too. So that's what everybody says. The right man usually falls in your lap when you're least expecting it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it was just a really implementing that small small things. Going buying myself some clothes. Um, going buying going having a haircut and going having regular massages. I used to have regular massages all the time. So um i love you know i make sure even right now i still make sure i go and have a regular massage if it's not every week it's every second week so um and there's a lot
0: of a lot of self-love and self-care examples that you're sharing right now and um the reason that they are just so important is because when you are looking after yourself in the right way then the rest of your life will reflect that so it's a it is absolutely empowering to give yourself that time and I think that that's the opposite to what happens when you're a victim in a relationship because when you're in a a victim you Mm. um, self-care falls to the absolute bottom of the list of priorities it just doesn't even get seen and that's why it's just so important on the other side of an abusive relationship to Really identify what sort of self care things work for you mm. and nourish, really, really nourish you and make you feel loved and valued and um, special. Then mm. it's really important to identify some of those things. And give yourself permission to do them because the permission ultimately needs to come from you. And when you start giving yourself permission in your life again, that's when you step out of victimhood. Mm. And into becoming an empowered woman again in your life. So I'm so glad that you shared those examples of self-love and self-care because they are really, really crucial elements yeah. of healing and recovery. And that just you going back to the counseling another. for one second, Tanya, I just wanted to um just agree with you on that point about. If the counsellor doesn't fit you, don't stick with that counsellor. There are there are plenty of people who, you know, that counsellor might work for, but it's all about you. This is if you're getting counselling, it's not about the counsellor. It's all about you. So you really need to, mm. that counsellor needs to be like your best friend, needs to be that trusted confidant that you feel really, really comfortable just talking about your most vulnerable self and if you don't feel comfortable sharing things on a really deep level with your counsellor then it's a good idea to try another counsellor and see if you can find somebody who does fit better and who you relate to and you feel comfortable sitting there and just getting whatever it is off your chest and sharing it with them. Yeah, most definitely, because you've really got to be able to open up
1: to let go and heal. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, um, it's learning to love yourself, you know, and uh, one of the most amazing things that I've since we moved to Adelaide a couple of years ago, we had to move here to look after our ageing parents now. But um, I've met a lot of amazing women here that uh, do do that, you know, so um, do very different, unique things, and I went and helped um particular day there was a over in one of the community centers in adelaide a few months ago we um, a friend of mine was holding a day she does it i think every six months and it's helping women heal through love who've been in through domestic violence and so they can come in and you know may have the hair cut have their makeup done have a massage um, have some healing done like different modality healings and all sorts of things um you know, have their photos taken, you know so things like that so that just that self-worth sometimes is just having a nice photo taken Absolutely. to realize that you you know you you can sometimes it's just by looking at yourself um and've I've seen amazing people you know come out of the woodwork doing different things but majority of it's because we've all gone through it so mm. you find that you might connect to somebody particularly because of They've you know gone through it, but yeah, my main suggestion is to make sure you find a counselor, particularly one that's probably gone through it, so they understand and really have that right compassion that you're needing. Um, Because you know, every time I've gone to counseling, I'm I'm (laughs) usually going through a box of tissues every time. Um, You know that kind of thing. So you're you've got to be prepared to really let it go. Because if you don't, if you hold back with a counselor and are not willing to let go, you're only giving yourself a disservice. not the counsellor, because the counsellor at the end of the day is there to help you. So Mm -hmm. if you can't let go of of what's really, you know, in here, because at the end of the day, it's your heart that's got to heal um, so that you can move forward.
0: Mm. Yeah, very, very well said, Mm -hmm. Tanya. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So yeah, I think is there anything you would you talked about the other experiences that you've had to where you've faced some physical challenges in your life where you've had to go through surgery and, um, and I think that you're no stranger to chronic pain and you. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things and I know that you've talked about the counseling and you've talked about self-love and self-care and there's a lot of amazing strategies that you've shared to uh, help the listeners to Mm. do some get really you know proactive and know all right if I'm feeling like this I've got I can try this so but what sort of um, things during that time where you're really struggling with something like the chronic pain and there seems to be no end in sight with a solution to the problem that you're going through what are some of the things that you recognize in yourself now that have helped you through those times
1: well it's it's really interesting so if I draw back on one particular thing to give people an amazing tip and this could be also around what they're going through and anything was um, a friend of mum's gave me a, a tip. So when I was going through, I had two spinal fusions done in one year and I spent a whole year laying flat in the bed just staring at the same dot on the ceiling wall. Um, and I couldn't move, like I couldn't get out of bed. So my husband had to lift me out of bed, shower me, and put me back into bed, you know, had to be lifted to go to the toilet and all that kind of stuff. So that one particular year was extraordinary traumatic, um, you know, and your head just doesn't go in the right places. And my f- mum's friend, Diane, she said to me um, she had been through different things in cancer through her life, and she said, go and buy a really large diary, you know, the diaries that have the one full-page diary on it and write in it, just write in it all day. So um, I would also record all the medications I was on because I did overdose quite a few times because I would sit on the bed, take my pills, turn around and go, did I take the pills? can't remember. Oh, I put another lot in. And, um, you know, so (laughs) that that happens really easy. So I would then have to get into a habit of actually putting the pills on the bench and then writing the diary. So if I wrote in the diary,
0: I took them. So I had to change some practices and because I was on. That's a great tip for anybody who's having to take medication regularly. Yeah. to write it down and record it to yeah. i mean that's the, when you look at doctors and nurses and things they're always recording information for that reason because they have yeah. get they have to get the doses right because if they yeah. give too much of anything then it can be dangerous so that's a, a great tip and diarising things is yeah so therapeutic journaling is a really amazing tool to healing and um, and working through those challenging times and helping to uh, get a stop internalizing everything and to get it out of yourself and onto a piece of paper exactly yeah get it out of your head get it onto the paper and it helps you to declutter your mind a bit because your mind can get very, very cluttered with all these overwhelming thoughts, negative thoughts and things that um can take you in a in a downward spiral. If you're diarising through that, it's a good way of helping to just yeah. de- dejunk dejunk your mind yeah. a little bit. <laughs> And what you
1: hold in your head just has major effects through your body. Mm. So you know, that that whole because um, we are frequency means of frequency, you know. So if we've got yes. really bad negative thoughts going there, we're holding it in. You know, it affects your stomach, like your yes. stomach knots up, and it, it affects yeah. all your organs. So yeah, you know, we started doing a lot of research and all of this back then because we were. I was having a lot of different things going on. Yes, but um, the diary was good because. At that time, I was actually under a work cover claim. So it wouldn't matter. And I would give a tip around this because it wouldn't matter if you're in a domestic violence situation or in a work cover claim, or if it's just for any use, is was I had a whole year of recording my medications, recording my thoughts. So um, because at this, this got to a stage where my husband was sick of hearing me complaining about it. So I really couldn't talk to him about it and say, this is, you know, I got to a stage where I, I was feeling bad telling him how bad I was. Um, And that I was suicidal. I really didn't want him. So, really understanding that I was going through those tendencies again. So, writing all that was good. So, when it came to closing my work cover claim off a few years later, they used that in the court hearing. So, they actually took the journal and looked at it and thought, Jesus, you know, so that creates that. They can look at how did that have an effect on my life uh, going back in those places. So, you know, if I had have realised I could have thought about doing that while I was with Jack back in that relationship but the only thing you would be terrified if somebody found it you know that's
0: yeah I was just yeah I just had that same thought too that um you know one of the recommendations that I would definitely make for victims is for them to keep records whatever records they can Mm. but they have to learn to Find ways to keep those records safely so that it's not going to jeopardize them if they're still caught in a cycle of abuse. But keeping records is so helpful for that reason that you talked about when it comes to things, um, whether it's involving the police or involving the courts in what you're going through. The more evidence you have which comes in the form of records mm. the easier it is for them to establish what they need to establish to support you in your situation to help to keep you safe mm. so this is a huge reason why it is really important to do things like um one of the things that i recommend is to take screenshots of text messages where there's text messages which are threatening or coercive or anything like that and take a screenshot you've got a record there so if the text message gets erased you've still got a screenshot you can take that screenshot and you can email it to a you know an account that is yeah yeah, a friend or somebody else so that you're not the only one holding on to that record so it is really really important and that is probably one good way of keeping if you're journaling at that time rather than having a uh a physical you know written diary that can be found is to do something like put it in an email send it off delete the email from your account and that record's gone somewhere where it's stored so yeah playing with those sorts of ideas you need to get if you're a victim in um, an abusive relationship you need to get really resourceful and creative and only you know what your situation is like and only you know what the patterns are in your relationship and only you know um, what is going to be appropriate for you in your situation. So any suggestions that I make in the course of these um, podcasts is merely a suggestion and you will know whether it is appropriate for you to try these things or not so um the last thing that i want to do is jeopardize your safety and um the what i want to do is to make sure that you make your safety a priority a top priority so Mm. I would like to thank you so much, but before you go um I would like to you to share any links to help find you if anybody wants to get in contact with you um mm. you have i believe a wonderful facebook group that um that you might like to share with the listeners tanya yes, yeah,
1: so um about two years ago i was I had to finish work again because of another really bad accident I had. Um, So I started a movement called leaders in healing movement because I sort of, because everybody's doing Facebook groups, but it's not, it didn't have an intention to it behind it. And I thought there's something here and I only wanted to do something twice a week. So it was actually had a purpose for the people to be in the group. Um, That way then going to be elsewhere, but they knew, always knew on Tuesday and Thursday, they'd come back to my group and look at what was going on. So the inspiration is to have people that have come on and have gone through extreme adversity in their life, and that's anything and everything because everybody's got a story to tell, you know, not everybody, but maybe eight to nine out of ten, somebody's gone through some kind of adversity in life, um, Right, drawing right back from childhood to that kind of thing. But the people that I come on and bring on for interview have gone through that, are happy to come on and share their experience. Um, quite often, it can be a real tearjerker too. So, you know, I've stood there many times with a box of tissues and um, let them tell about what their experience was. How did they overcome it? Where did they draw the line in the sand? And that would be also usually nine out of 10 times. It's been the career changer as well. So they've finished that career that they did, and then they've started what they really wanted to do. And so majority of people I'm interviewing are entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurs of all different sorts. So entrepreneurs, a lot of people say, I'm not an entrepreneur, but most of them are. They just don't um, understand the broad perspective of what that word actually means. So, you know, I have an amazing um, airline pilot in there who's uh, through in her career and um, creates rooms for women to come in and uh, listen to stories of sexual desire like, you know, who would have ever thought of something like that, something so unique, you know. Yeah. Right? Everybody's got something very different that they do do. So there's no boundaries in becoming an entrepreneur. You've just got to have an idea and then find a way to make it happen. So it can be anything. You don't have to have an online business. You don't have to be a course, a coach or created a course or anything specific or just be doing trading or whatever. There's, there's no boundary. You can actually do anything. So it's good to people to come in and just a lot of people are in there, just uh, love to only let very specific people into the group. So it's not a group. It's not a public group and it doesn't allow, you know, the wrong kind of people to be in the group and if they are remove them straight away. So it has intention and purpose to really help and inspire people, and especially those that are really stuck. And a lot of people, you know, a few people that have been in there are sitting there and watching and enjoying it. And now they've come out and, um, you know, have been able to share what they actually do, do. So they feel the confidence. And sometimes it's great because it's the first time they've ever come out and done a live. So it's mm-hmm. a nice, safe container that they can come out and do a live, not feel that they're out in the public eye. They are only in the group.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: if- People want me to share that on social media, and the next month I usually share that video ad on my social media for people to hear. But that doesn't happen very often. Majority of them stays the, inside the container to be a to be a safe place
0: for people to be inspired. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful yeah. and inspiring. Thanks. I've loved this conversation with you. Uh, yeah. For the final, final question, because this podcast is called the Tiaras, Tears and Triumphs podcast, what does this title mean to you as a woman? I tell you, I didn't get to tell you, this is
1: interesting. So, after all that happened, I ended up going in the Miss Australia Awards. <laughs> many years ago look back and I've got some amazing photos well looking at
0: you today that doesn't surprise me you're beautiful oh thanks so
1: um it just goes to show you that whatever happens in your life you have the ability and the choice to come back being stronger and you can do anything you want no matter where you come from whether you can or can't read or write you can create anything you want. You just need to want to have it bad enough. So this is where I really love to help people um, break some barriers and understand, you know, I've done it myself. And um, and I never even finished school, you know, and I had an incredible corporate career that most people would only have that if they had university degrees and things like that. I just had the want and the drive to get where I wanted people could see what I did. I could achieve what I wanted to achieve. And I achieved extraordinary results in my life. I keep having barriers put in front of me, but I think that that's continually coming forward. Like my mum says to slow me down. So that's good. Cause that's has slowed me down again. has <laughs> pulled me back. And now I'm doing what everybody seems to be. And even psychic readers are telling me that I'm on life's purpose now. So I get to really do what I love to do the most every day and that's connecting people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But just uh, allowing people to share and inspire people through stories and storytelling, story sharing, Um, but just connecting people who need help too sometimes too. And that's what my group does, the Leaders in Healing, because there are a lot of healers in there. So it allows people to connect with those healers also. So it's not about me making a dollar anymore. So I've been there and done that. So now I feel like I can freely give to help people.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. Mm. Well, thank you very, very much, Tanya. I have loved this conversation that Thanks. we've had. and has lovely meeting you too. Yeah, it's a, um, just wonderful opportunity that came along. And I love these kinds of surprises that life has in store that you just And for me, I guess that's a note that I'd like to leave on is to say to the listeners that you don't know what's around the next corner. And if you are open to creating the life that you really want deep down inside, then life We'll have some nice surprises waiting for you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Just got to be willing to accept them.
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Thank Sandy. You. It was lovely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tanya. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation with Tanya Ben Lowe. I certainly did. And I think there was just so much wisdom in what she shared. And I just want to run through the top tips from today's episode number one if you find out at any stage in your relationship that your partner has been abusive to other women in previous relationships this is a real red flag you may think that the way that he is currently treating you shows no indications that he will be abusive to you too but the chances are you will be victim to exactly the same patterns of behavior as previous partners Number two, maybe you can see yourself as having an unhealthy obsession with the person who you know to be toxic and maybe this will keep you wanting to continue the relationship even when you are already being hurt in a variety of ways. Try and be mindful and think, is this something that is happening for you? Number three, when you give yourself permission to do something, you empower yourself. So give yourself choices to help you break free from a victim mindset. Number four, keeping a diary or journaling is a great way of getting things out of your head and onto paper. Number five, record keeping is something you should be doing if you are in an abusive relationship and when you leave an abusive relationship too while you still have contact with the abusive partner but you must find a way to keep records safely so that they do not jeopardize your safety with that person. Number six, Once you are committed to the relationship you may feel too vested to give up on it and maybe you are in a state of hopefulness that everything will somehow work itself out. This is normal and natural to feel this way but it doesn't mean that you should stay. Okay, number seven, When your partner isolates you from your friends and from your family, it is a big red flag that they are using coercive control, which is a form of abuse. Number eight, suggesting that you move away or convincing you to move away from your friends and family is a tactic to further isolate you, disempower you and control you. Number nine, financial control is a form of abuse. And this happens to 99% of women in abusive relationships. If your partner is controlling your finances and leaving you vulnerable financially, You need to find ways to build some emergency funds. The idea is for you to get back enough to allow you to exit the relationship. Even if this is only the bond and the first month's rent for a rental property, it's just your backup. You need to create enough to have a backup plan to help you to be able to break free from that toxic relationship when you are ready. Number 10, as was the case for Tanya, it is very common for women to trust their partner to do the right thing for them financially. It does not seem normal because where there is mutual trust and mutual respect, there should be no Pay for trail to prove that your partner is using your money for the intended purpose. So what do you do? How can you maintain some control when they expect you to blindly trust them with your money? One way might be to say that you will pay for things directly. Today, it is very easy to make digital direct transactions. Keep your PIN number to yourself and your password to your bank account. yourself too. If you have a joint account then keep a close eye on transactions and withdrawals and always have a separate account that is in your name only and that only you have access to. This is the type of account that I'm talking about for having a backup plan and an emergency fund. If you can even put $20 aside a week and put that into that account that money will quickly add up just if there's anything that you can just get into that account to have some financial security for yourself this can make a huge difference in a relatively short space of time number 11 promises of getting married one day but never getting to the stage of actually setting a date is another red flag. It is a tactic to keep you feeling loved and honored enough to want to make you his wife, to tug at your heartstrings so that you stay even when you are miserable in the relationship. Number 12, affairs are very common in abusive relationships. This is another reason to keep you isolated so that you do not have the self-confidence to hold them accountable for their infidelity. Number 13, one way to help yourself to become more objective about whether or not to stay in an abusive relationship is to ask yourself if this was happening to someone else who you love and care about would you want them to stay stuck in this abusive situation? Number 14, Tanya made a point that we might damn ourselves to stay a victim of our circumstances. But if we think beyond to how this is impacting on our family and other people who love and care about us, it helps us to try our best to do what is needed to begin to turn our lives around for the better. Number 15, We feel hurt and broken and just want to escape the pain of what we are going through. But we need to remember that there are other people who want to see us heal and find happiness and stability in our lives again. Number 16, finding a good counsellor is one of the best things you can do to help you find a path to healing your life. If you do not relate well to a new counsellor, try another. It is really important to feel comfortable enough with your counsellor that you can let go and open up to them about what is going on for you and how that is making you feel deep down inside. This helps you to get the weight of what you are carrying outside of yourself and let go of some of the burden of what you are dealing with. Number 17, when you break free from the cycle of abuse and you are reeling from the trauma of what you have been through, it is very easy to still attract the wrong kind of people into your life because you are still carrying so much of the energy from the abusive relationship. Number 18, if all you think of is what you don't want, then write it all down and then flip it. This is one of the exercises that I do with my clients. I help them to flip what they don't want into creating a list of things that they do want. And this becomes a goals, dreams and hopes list. This gives you a positive direction to move in and helps you change your energy away from victimhood. Number 19. Remember that micro steps in the right direction can get you to that goal, dream or desire that you have. As much as you want an instant fix, it is far better to start taking small manageable steps than it is to wait for that magical transformation to happen instantaneously. Number 20. Starting to empower yourself starts with self-love and self-care. When you start doing the simple things which give yourself value again like getting your hair done or buying a magazine or sitting in nature, your energy will change and you will feel stronger and more like the you that you used to be or if you have always been hard on yourself, you will begin to reap the benefits of taking care of yourself by giving yourself the love and the care that you deserve. I hope that this helps you to rise and shine. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but when I turned a corner in my life the light started filtering through please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset. Spells out how to spot the red flags. Advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning. Gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough. Teaches empowerment strategies. Acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on. To go from surviving, to rising, to striving and finally, to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show Stay safe, Sandy.